This morning we're going to be diving into uh, this concept of hope as we look at the Christmas story. So I invite you to open your Bibles to, Ac- uh, to Acts, to Luke chapter 2, and uh, let's just begin with a word of prayer. Dear Father God, we thank you for this morning, we thank you for this moment, and we thank you for the fact that you have gifted us um, truth, you have gifted us wisdom, you have gifted us knowledge and insight, and an ability to discern what it is that you have built for us and what you invite us into. Lord, we thank you for this time, and as we open uh, your word, uh, we pray that we just allow all distractions to slip away, that in this moment we could just really be residing on what you are saying. And we just give you this moment, and thank you for this time. In your name we pray, amen. So we're going to be beginning in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds residing in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Just then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. After they had seen the child, they spread the message that they had received about him. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, which was just as the angel had told them. Each year as we go through these passages as we have the opportunity to return and really focus within our season on what it is that the Lord designed and built through the coming of His Son. We have the opportunity to spend this time reflecting on this concept of hope, which as the Advent reading talked about today, we have almost minimized over the last number of years that we hope for icing on the cake, not that the cake is particularly good, I think the greatest things that we hope for are just that we won't have any problems with our car, that once again, the grocery store won't be out of what we need. Because the reality is, in this corner of the world, we are so blessed in terms of what we have. That we don't need to hope for basic things like food, like shelter, like safety. And I think it's so easy for us to forget the absolute depth of how extensive God's plan truly was. And how deep His love was to be shared through these moments. And even for us today, we realize with the breadth of being able to look at all of Scripture in our hands, we see the fact that this was a message that God intended for all to hear. That His message would reach to the far corners of the earth. That even Scripture itself says that no one will be without excuse. That even if a missionary has never visited a small village in the middle of the jungle in Africa, that God has still worked in a global sense, making sure that all would know Him. Scripture says even creation 
presents the truth of who God is. That for us today, it's really easy for us to remember the fact that God has made this global plan. But when we look at the events of this passage, we see a much different picture. We see that this wasn't so much a global event as it was a story for the local neighborhood. In fact, this was, in this moment, an event for the community itself. That these, the story of Jesus, the story of his birth, begins with the fact that there is a governmental required census for people to return to the town in which they were born, in their most local sense, and get back to the roots of the family that they came from. This required Mary and Joseph to travel to the small town of Bethlehem. Now, I remember reading that theologians and historians often guessed that there probably would have been a population of about 300 people from all different ages who would have returned to this village. Now, once again, we're not talking residents. We're talking people who've come from afar. And in that sense, we're talking about something that we would see as the size of one of the local churches in the area. Bigger than us a little bit, but something for us that really isn't quite as big as um, the things that we see when we go to concert events or when there is a parade in town or whether there is an event. I know uh, there was a food truck festival in Stouffville that happened a few years ago. It was the second one. They had 18,000 people on Main Street in Stouffville in one night. So 300, how small of a number that actually is. And when we think about this concept of Bethlehem as, as a size... I think it was Pastor David who once compared it to Locust Hill. How many of you know where Locust Hill is? Show of hands. We're talking a small, small row of like 10 houses uh, just as you head out Highway 7 east towards Pickering. And in this passage, we see that the events that are taking place are literally meant for the people who are there at that moment in time. This is not a birth of a Savior that is getting declared from the capital. This is not the changing of a system and structure of how society works. This is an event for enough people that would fit inside this room that we're in today. And as we read this specific piece of that story, we see this shepherd's experience. And much like God as He worked in the Old Testament first for the Jew and then to the Gentile through the New Testament, that's the same aspect of growth and sharing that this Christmas story begins with. It starts with first the local community, those who are closest to it, and then it moves on, and then it moves out, and then it catches and is shared and moves beyond and farther and farther. And in fact, even this passage says right off the bat in the beginning, And there were shepherds residing in the fields where? Nearby. Now even that word nearby has a different meaning for us than it would for them. Nearby for us could be downtown Toronto. If you go at three in the morning, it's a half an hour drive. The rest of the time, it's an hour. That's pretty close. But nearby, we're talking that if they arrived in that same evening, in that same 24-hour period, we're talking at no more than 30, 40 kilometers away at the absolute most. So we realize that this concept of this message 
was going to change the lives of the people who were closest to it first and then spread out from there. And we know that it was meant for a small audience to begin with because it did not happen in the metropolis. It did not happen in the capital. It was not proclaimed from the position of power and authority. It was placed in a setting that people would hear the message and believe. It was placed within a community that was ready to receive something. We read throughout the whole New Testament how people share about the message of Jesus and there's strong reactions either way. There's super positive reactions where individuals' lives are changed or they shared what they had and numbers were added to them daily. But even within what we hear here in this passage, there's like a 100% success rate in the sharing of this truth. So what, what type of place it makes us imagine was that community actually in? What, what type of attitude, disposition did they have and openness to what God was saying? It was one in hope, but not hope that their cattle wouldn't disappear, or not hope that they wouldn't uh, run into any issues with wild animals, or not hope that the harvest would be good. It was a hope and expectancy of something more impactful, more life-changing, of, of a fulfillment of this promise that God had made through the generations, through the prophetic messages over generations. And that this was a message of salvation. This was a message of love. A message of peace. And a message of hope for those who were closest to it at the time. There's a pastor in the States who once said, the local church is the hope of the world. I know the world obviously doesn't see it like that. I'm not sure every one of my neighbors see it like that. I think there's moments where I don't even necessarily see it like that. But what would the community, what would the world, what would Markham look like if we lived with the same sense of expectancy, the same sense of desire to see something happen, that for those closest to us, that we could have that message of hope. And I think that's what the story of the shepherds really truly speaks to. A message of the fact that Christ is Lord that was shared with the people who were most immediately present to it. And that message was accepted. That message was received. And that message was believed. And from there, they went out as shepherds proclaiming the truth of what God had done. And I think this message of this church being the hope of the world, we really have to remind ourselves from a 21st century that this building is not the church. It is a building that we use for a specific function that God has blessed us with, It is a building that is made of wood and drywall and insulation that is keeping us warm with heaters and electronic equipment that we use for the purpose of glorifying God. But if this building 
burnt down tonight, overnight, that would not change the community that you and I are a part of. That would not change the construction of the fact that we have committed together as members, as adherents, as brothers and sisters in Christ to this purpose that God has given this specific body. Because if the church is the building and the building burns down, there is no church. And even when we look at the fact that Jesus and what He accomplished through His birth, death, and resurrection, changing that Old Testament sacrificial system, where it's the role of the priest to make amends for the sin of the nation at the altar. When we look at the fact that in Jesus' death that the veil was torn and there was no separation between the Holy of Holies and the inner courts, we recognize that God has moved His dwelling place through the work of Jesus from a building into the lives of those who believe and follow Him. So you are the church, singularly, You individual as a believer and follower of Christ are the embodiment and the place where His Holy Spirit resides and you are the church. So if we take a second and and really chew through that and remind ourselves and believe in that because even I get wrapped up in the idea that church is at 5438 Major McKenzie Drive East. So I know everyone else does too. If we think about that and put that context into that pastor's statement once again, that the local church is the hope of the world, you, individually, personally, wherever you find yourself, within your day, within your work week, within your neighborhood, you are the hope of the world. How many of you feel slightly nauseous at that? I feel slightly nauseous at that. That this responsibility is on me to be the hope of the world. But luckily, like everything in my life, I am not required to accomplish it on my own. That God's Spirit dwells inside me. That He works giftings based off my personality and disposition to make me more capable at sharing His message. And for any of you who luckily is none of you knew me as a kid you would be shocked to see what the Lord has done in terms of that transformation. I got fired from our Christmas play as a kid by my own mother. That's saying a lot because I did not have the courage or confidence to say seven words standing in a chair in our kitchen, let alone in a room full of people. And it's through a willingness in my life of seeing the fact that God has a way of accomplishing things I can't that has placed in me gifts and abilities to make me a better version of the church. To make me a more capable version of the church. And as such, since this building is not the church, since this building is geography which God no longer resides over, The church is really anywhere you are. The church is in your bathtub at the end of the day. The church is working in your garage with the garage door open and seeing and interacting with your neighbors. Your church 
the church. You are the church in that moment where you are meeting with friends at a restaurant, ordering appetizers, or celebrating a Christmas party at work. That is where the church is. That is where the hope resides. Not within an organization that can fall apart and change and exists under legal requirements of governmental structures. The fact is that you, as you live, are the greatest hope through the work of Jesus for those that you are closest to. So for those in your life, those people who are suffering, those people who are experiencing tragic pain and loss and hurt, people who are carrying wounds that have been there for years. You are the hope through the work of Jesus for them to receive some type of healing. For the people who you know in your life who are rejected, who feel alone, who have been personally and physically abandoned by their families, you are the hope for them to receive some sense of comfort and acceptance into community. For those who are confused or deluded in their belief system to thinking either God is not real or God does or doesn't do certain things or God can or can't do certain things. You are the hope to bring truth and a clarity into an accurate understanding of who God is. And for the fools that you meet in your life, and I say fools from an Old Testament perspective, from those people whose hearts are hardened, who have lost the ability to listen to those around them and listen before speaking, you are the hope to helping them break down those walls that they have put up in their own lives. Or the walls that they have because of the broken experiences that they have had. So we ask the question, and I ask the question in very little sense because I don't know the answer. What would our community, what would our collection as a body of believers look like if these were the people that we were reaching into their lives and bringing into our community? The first thought that comes to my mind is that it would look absolutely messy. The community would, by definition, inherit far more stress than it had before. If as a community we are bringing in people who are suffering, people who are rejected, people who are confused, people who are foolish, if we are inviting them to journey and follow our example of Jesus... That means there's going to be more of that suffering, more of that sense of rejection, more of that confused foolishness that exists amongst ourselves. And the reality is, hurt people tend to try to hurt people. So if genuinely, if we honestly followed this direction of being hope and inviting people to participate in this journey and they accepted and came with us, it's going to get a whole lot more stressful, a whole lot more broken around here. 
Things are not going to be as clean. Things are not going to work as easily. Things are not going to be as communally understood of a culture as it is now. But I think churches are meant to be hospitals for those who are in need, not museums for those who have it all together. And I think that that same message includes for each and every one of you. I was meeting with somebody this past week from our own congregation, and they were talking about how, once again, what they're going through in life and work and family and marriage is really weighing them down and really stressing them out. And one of the things that we talked about was what it feels like to come to church on Sunday. And they were saying that they come in and they almost feel like a failure before they've come through the doors because they're hurting. And there's this, for them, this unspoken requirement that when you get through these doors, you're supposed to be smiling, that your answers are supposed to be, yes, it's been great, oh, absolutely no, things are awesome. And this person is struggling to come into this community, not because of anything that has ever been said to them, not because of anything anyone has done or in any way that they've been treated, but they're carrying this burden of guilt for not having it all together in church, in, in this community, in this body of believers. And I know it's nothing anyone has been done, but that is nothing but the work of the devil trying to push us away from each other. So I encourage you, when things aren't great, don't smile. Don't put on a face and don't try to project this image of perfection. And that's, that's the same for us as a leader, that if you're in a leader and you're in a place that's suffering, that's the same for you. Glad my wife's downstairs when I say this because probably set her off, but as many of you know, last Christmas Day, uh, we spent the day in the hospital and she had a miscarriage. I had to come to church the next Sunday and lead worship. How much of my heart do you think was in a happy place that day? And in that day, nobody looked at me in a way that they expected me to smile. They expected me to have it all together. Nobody required me of that, but I think that's because I'm in a place where I understand the community and culture here because I've been here for so many years. And I think for each and every one of us, we need to remind ourselves that this body is not a place where you have to put on a mask and hide what it is that you're going through. You can take time with the person who you're sitting beside, which I assume you like because you either came with them or chose to sit beside them, or the person from across the pew or across the room. That as we are experiencing hurt, we can remind each other of the hope that there is for healing. That as we are leaning on each other for what it is that we need and for the support for what it is that we're going through, that will be an attractive thing to the people who see it, who aren't a part of this community, and who will then want to be a part of this community. Because if the local church is the hope of the world, if people, if you are the hope of the world, the decisions that you make will seek to shape and help the lives of the people around you. 
There's an amazing story I heard earlier this month about a church in Europe where Dutch law totally forgives, forbids police from interrupting a church service under any circumstance. And there was a family who was a part of this church community who was about to be deported back to the Middle East to a war-torn area. So the church leadership got together and they tried traditional ways of getting involved and going through the political routes, and it became very clear that this family was going to be deported and there was nothing the church could do about it. Until one person in the church got an idea. They remembered this law that once again forbids police, forbids government, forbids anyone outside politically from interrupting a church service. So they started a church service. And they had this family come to the church for this church service. And over the next 96 days, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, they ran a church service. Over 1,000 priests and pastors from the community came to participate to lead this active worship service for 96 days where this family lived at the church which forbid the government from interfering and deporting them. And they did it for long enough that they got the issues resolved that needed to be resolved before this family got deported back to a war-torn country that they came from. Talk about a group of people being the hope for the people who are closest to them. Talk about a story in which the love of God led people to act in ways that just baffle us. To help the people who were in their community. And I believe that that is following Jesus done correctly. Not political rebellion, necessarily. And in some cases, absolutely. But taking a stand for those in need. Taking a stand to reach out to those who in our lives need a message of hope. And to recognize that we're not doing this on our own, because if we were, we would fail and it wouldn't work. But that God has made His dwelling place in and amongst you. He has resided His Holy Spirit within you. So that you may be a blessing, you may be a contribution to the kingdom around you. So as we think about this message of hope, of what God has provided, we are freed from the burden of having to personally save the world. But we have to do our best and remember that as the church, personally, the gospel is probably most effective, just like it was in that story for the shepherds, when shared in the people who are closest to you in your life. When it is shared with a hope of the fact that this is not as good as it gets. And not to say that situationally we won't still have problems. But that God will continue to build us in a way where the problems impact us far less than they used to.
Because I believe that through this church, through your life, that God has something amazing planned. He has the type of life-changing transformation that we read about in the, Old Test- or in the New Testament through the words of the prophets and thousands coming to faith through lives being transformed from people who are walking away from utter brokenness into a sense of having a purpose and a joy despite their circumstance. And I think God has all of that and He is holding it and just ready and willing that as soon as we open our hands that He will place it in it for us to receive and most importantly for us to share with those people that we live closest to. Because if we're not ready for it, if we're not preparing, if we're not dreaming in a sense of a prophetic vision and in sense of a hope for what could happen, that we'll never see what God has actually planned for us. That we will never experience the fulfillment of everything that God had set apart for us. So I hope in that sense that you feel a huge burden of responsibility and also an absolute freeing of stress in that journey. That we can be reminded that just as this message was for the shepherds, the message and gospel of Christ is for those and we have the best chance of success of sharing it with the people that we know best. And our responsibility is to share it, not how it's received on the other end. Our responsibility in faithfulness is to take the step and not how that step is responded to. But I believe that the Lord is building and purposing for Markham Missionary Church to change the lives of of the people who live closest to you and closest to this building. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for this gift of the Holy Spirit that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the life of Jesus that we can look back in Scripture and just see how all of this ties together. Lord, just remind us that the building we're in, the things that we have, They're nothing more than tools. And tools wear out, they break. We get new tools. And sometimes the design of the tool has changed. But Lord, we know all of it is just trying to use what we have to share the gospel with those who need it. Lord, as we, I pray as we go forward for some of us into this last week of work, of school, Um, before these holidays, in which case some of us have two days off, some of us have two weeks off. Just lead our hearts in how you would have us be faithful in sharing, sharing a little bit of love with the people around us. And particularly the people that maybe we're not looking forward to seeing over these holidays. Dear Father God, we know none of this is going to happen unless it's through the Holy Spirit So we just give you space this morning. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.